this week at Hope Point. Very truly, I tell you, John 14, 12, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things because I go to the Father and what? Send the Spirit. For those of you who are new to either that verse or new to church, you might be asking a question that's not really, that's pretty decent one to ask. How can you do anything greater than Jesus? Jesus could only be in one place at one time. But now that the Holy Spirit was living in every believer, the power of Jesus was in many cities at one time. The apostles were working in Jerusalem, and now Philip and the, and the gang were working in Samaria. So it's a greater work in scope because the Holy Spirit had been, had been given. There's great joy in studying the work of the Holy Spirit in the early church because He never stops surprising us. Repeatedly, we watch Him accomplish extraordinary works through ordinary people. The Spirit of God has great plans to use you to fulfill the mission of God. His desire is to clothe you with His power and to continually breathe His life in you and through you. Even in a hostile world, the Holy Spirit will bring many people to Christ, and He will use us to be part of this miracle if we do just one thing, surrender our lives to His control. Let's listen now to what Richard has to say to us from God's Holy Word. Immediately following this service today, as uh, Ronnie excitedly told us, several hundred of us are going to leave here and go to Lake Cooley and celebrate the baptism of 11 students and adults. We celebrate the work of the Holy Spirit because whenever He is at work, He is producing baptisms. That's what He loves. So today, 11 times, we're basically going to hear the confession of people who will say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord of all, the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and of the dead. Only the Holy Spirit can cause a man or a woman to say that. There's no greater joy in life than to watch God bring people into the waters of baptism, into his kingdom. There's no greater joy than when God uses you to be a part of that. Your, your prayer ought to daily be, Holy Spirit, use me to lead people into your kingdom. I want to read a passage of scripture from the book of Ephesians chapter five, because that's really where we are headed in the next few weeks, but I'm not going to stay there long today. I'm going to use it as a diving board. Uh, you'll see why to look at the work of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. But I want to read Ephesians five and then make some comments from brief comments from that more comments on it next week as we head to Acts. Ephesians 5, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord would have you do. Do not get drunk on wine that leads to debauchery, a wasted life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So without saying much about Ephesians 5, you could just sort of see, even in a hostile world where evil forces are at work, the Holy Spirit wants to redeem people out of that culture, and he will use you if you yield your life to the power of the Holy Spirit at the end of the verse, to be filled with him, controlled by him, now, if you're not familiar with that term, the Spirit, I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, and I want you to know that the reason, the only reason the church has existed for 21 centuries 
solely because of the power of the work of the Holy Spirit, we meet him in the book of Acts. So let me give you a brief description of that book. It's the history of the, of the first 70 years of the church, the early church. It starts off with telling us Jesus has died, resurrected from the dead, and after he rose, Jesus spent 40 days with the disciples preparing them for the coming of the Holy Spirit. After his suffering, he, Jesus, presented himself to them, to the disciples, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So in this portion of the book of Acts, only one command, the hardest command sometimes, wait. It's what you and I are most often not good at. When we talk about waiting a long time, we talk about, uh, honey, uh, this red light is taking forever to change to green. For us, that's a long wait. This is a 10-day wait. Selling the disciples, we'll see that in a minute. Wait, on, wait for God 10 days for the Holy Spirit to be given to you and don't budge. There would be a go command later, but there's never a go command before there's a wait command. Wait for new power. There it is right there. Wait for new power. Most of us find it easier to do what we want to do in our strength rather than waiting to do what God wants to do what he wants us to do in his strength. Now you can see in these verses that there are basically three people named in this process that yields new power for us. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's telling them about something the Father wants to do and what the Father wants to do is to give the Holy Spirit. Now we in Christianity refer to these three persons as the Trinity, can't explain this, certainly not now. We believe there's one God who deals with the world through three persons. One God, and he's a trinity. He is a father, he's a son, and he is a spirit. So in the middle, the father designs the plan for the world to know him. The son comes into the world to die for our sins, that we could be forgiven. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives that we can serve the Father effectively. Three persons, one God. So here in this passage, you have the second member of the Trinity telling the disciples to wait for the first member of the Trinity to send the third member of the Trinity. Jesus says that the Father will send the Spirit. And what he says is he's going to send them. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, that's why he says, wait, power. You can't do the Lord's work without power. Now, you can look at all the ways that power is described, the power of the Spirit is described, and I just I took a, a list of every time the Holy Spirit is mentioned 
Here, he says he's going to send you power. <clears throat> says the same thing in different ways throughout the New Testament. Says he will clothe you. He'll fall upon you. He'll breathe on you. He'll be poured out on you. And he'll fill you. But all of those are referenced to the same thing. He wants to give you power. You need to think about the Holy Spirit in these terms. Jesus Christ, you needed Jesus Christ to enter into a human body for you to be saved from sin. You need the Holy Spirit to enter your body so you can serve the Lord in his will for your life. I mean, if you say it was important for the incarnation, it's just as important for the Holy Spirit to enter you as it was for Jesus to enter into a, a body. Here's what the Holy Spirit, what Jesus told them next. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Going back to heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. You know this room very well. This is the room that the disciples hid in. After Jesus was crucified, before he was resurrected from the grave three days later, they were terrified of even being identified with Jesus because he was, he was murdered by Roman authorities because they said he was a threat to national security. They had hung around with him for three years. So they were afraid. Now they're back in this room. But their attitude is a little different. They're no longer sad that their leader had been killed because now they have seen him. They clearly know Jesus Christ is alive. They just have no clue what he wants. <laughs> because all he said, his only instruction, wait. Could you give us a little bit more? No. Wait on me and I'll tell you what is next. They were confused. They had no idea what was coming next. All they knew is that everything they had ever known was disrupted. We love the movie, The Chosen, many of us in here. And over and over again, Jesus Christ says to his disciples in that movie, get used to different. That's the book of Acts. Get used to different. And they were learning how to wait on God, even what different meant. This is why I had them wait. Timothy uh, Tennant says, you can't receive the Spirit of God until you're at the end of your rope. God will not fill you until he empties you. If you are feeling empty today, it might be the very place you need to be. I don't know what's going on in your life individually. Too many conversations Hopefully we can have some of those conversations, barbecue, when you come to the baptism. But I'll tell you what he's doing in my life. And I really sometimes don't think, God, how can you empty me anymore? Like, you know, like, like there's nothing left. You know, there's, there's, there's still self-reliance left. There's still junk left. I'm, so he's emptying me even more than he has in the previous 60 years. And so he's probably doing the same thing with you. He's just telling us to wait so he can empty us so that he may fill us like he did with these guys. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So after Jesus had departed and returned to heaven, 
He'd been with them 40 days, and now it's 10 days later at Pentecost. Well, how does it, how do you know it's 10 days later? Because the word Pentecost is a Jewish holiday. The very word means 50, 50 days. That's what it really means. Jesus Christ was crucified on Passover. He ascended to heaven, left the disciples on Pentecost. That's 50 days. The book of Acts says he only spent 40 days with them. So these guys have been praying 10 days. That's like coming to this sanctuary and saying, I'm coming today, Sunday. I'm not leaving till next Wednesday. I'm going to pray 10 days to find out what God wants to do. Now, let me tell you, the fact that God did what he's about to do on Pentecost is not an arbitrary thing. God's calendar means the world to him. Dates are important to him, especially Pentecost. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And all of this happened on Pentecost. You say, what's the big deal about that? Why does that matter? You had all these problems in Spartanburg and the nation and the world, and you want to talk about dates because God wanted to make a statement on this date of what he was doing for the world. And he's dealing with Jewish men and women. They know Jewish history. You might not. So let me give you a little reminder of what was happening in their lives. They knew that Passover, the first Passover, had happened 2,000 years before that gathering in that room. That Passover was the day in which God freed the Jews from slavery in Egypt. In order for them to be uh, freed from slavery, they had to put the blood of a lamb above their doorpost. That celebration was called Passover. Then, as they left Egypt, they went on a journey. 50 days later, on a mountain called Sinai, God came down in glorious display of power, the whole mountain trembled and he gave them the Ten Commandments. So now you fast forward 2,000 years and there's a new Passover. Not the blood of a lamb will keep you safe, but the blood of Jesus Christ not sprinkled on your doorpost, but believed in your heart. And then there's a new Pentecost. Not where God comes down to the, on a mountain and gives you new laws to obey because nobody could obey his first set of laws. Instead of giving them new laws, he gave them the Holy Spirit so they would love his law and they would love him. And all of this happened exactly according to God's timetable. 50 days later, a new Pentecost, a new gift from God, not the law, but the Spirit, let's just read again what it looked like when the day of Pentecost came. This is the new one, the new gift of God. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were seated. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in tongues as God enabled them. Two metaphors of the Spirit. There's a lot of metaphors of the Spirit in the Bible, but two that are really nice that were used here, fire and water. Um, the only thing that is really more powerful on earth than fire is when wind hits that fire. If you look at all the, the wildfires that happen in the Midwest and West every year out on the, 
the West Coast, the one condition that causes those fires to blow out of control is when wind hits the fire. So we see that what's going to happen now in Jerusalem is going to be something that's a new type of power, a wind-fire combination from heaven. And one of the ways in which we see the power of God demonstrated is the gift of tongues. The gift of being able to speak the word of God in other languages. Now, why was that important? Well, there were three major holidays that Jewish men used to have to come to Jerusalem. They had to travel to Jerusalem no matter where they lived. They had to come to Jerusalem for one of three holidays. And one of them was Pentecost. They were required to be in Jerusalem. So you got Jewish men. But the, the funny thing about these or the interesting thing about these guys is a lot of them no longer spoke Hebrew. At the end of the Old Testament, there was a huge scattering and Jews began to move throughout the Greek world, the diaspora, and they were everywhere, no longer speaking Hebrew. And so you have Jewish men who speaking other languages and by God's providence were now back for the celebration of Passover Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation in the world. God had brought them all back together for this special descent of the Holy Spirit's power. And guess who was able to communicate with them? The early church, which now had the gift of other languages. God does not give you the Holy Spirit to inspire you, but to transform you that you might work for him. So you don't need to come to church and say, how was the music? Did it make me feel good? No. Did the music purge my life of sin and cause me to be a bold witness for Christ? The Holy Spirit calls them to be able to speak in other languages for gospel witness. So the people ask, what in the world is going on with all of these Jews in Jerusalem speaking our languages The apostle Peter, leader of the disciples at that time, told them, verse 14, when Peter stood up with the 11, he raised his voice and addressed the crowd in the last days. He said, this is what's happening. God says, I will pour out my Holy Spirit on all people and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So then he preaches the gospel to them very briefly. Jesus of Nazareth was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan. Wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross, but God raised him from the dead. This is Peter's first message. He preaches the gospel, and when the Holy Spirit is moving on the preaching of the gospel in a profound way, guess what happens? Baptisms. Many people coming to Christ. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That would be a lot of barbecue at Lake Cooley. But what a glorious, glorious situation to have. And I want you to remember who is the one preaching here now. This is a guy just a few years earlier was a fisherman repairing his nets by his boat on the Sea of Galilee, no theological training, uneducated, and God uses him. This is why we love the book of Acts. God doing extraordinary things through ordinary people. 
Now, remember what Jesus said. You're going to be my witnesses. Where? Jerusalem and then Samaria and all over the world. Well, we got Jerusalem covered, right? 3,000 people got saved in one day. Do you know what I would feel like as a pastor? And uh, we, if we saw 3,000 people in Spartan, done. 3,000 added to this church in one day. Got it, Spartanburg done. But so Jerusalem's pretty well, we got some started here. How do you get to Samaria? Hmm. There's no course on that. There's no book on that. How do you take the gospel? Let's, let's go to Louisville, Kentucky for a three-day seminar of how to take the gospel from Jerusalem to Samaria. There's no counselor. There's no man. But the Holy Spirit had a plan. Your job is not to know everything. Your job is to be filled with the Spirit who knows everything. He had a plan of how to get the gospel in Samaria. Look how he did it. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Interesting. Holy Spirit wanted his church in Samaria, and lo and behold, they're in Samaria. But how did he get them there? Through pain. Through pain, persecution. They love Jerusalem. I mean, wouldn't you love to be 3,000 new Christians and just say, let's spend the rest of our life at Lake Cooley, barbecued 3,000 Christians, hearing testimonies all day long for uh, 15 years. And the Holy Spirit said, time to go. That's a hard thing when the Holy Spirit said, time to go. Sometimes God calls us away from something we love because he has a new direction in our lives. And I know some of you are living that out. I I saw a couple when I was preaching, they were on row three on on the first service, moved here from just the Midwest, big Midwest city. I still think they're trying to figure out why they came here. They'll tell you that. It's just, and I know all of you are probably in that. George Whitfield was a great preacher in the first great awakening that just totally rocked England, had been a corrupt nation, abandoned the gospel. Whitfield starts to preach, 20,000 people would gather. I mean, everywhere he went in major cities had this booming voice. He was called the Episcopalian lightning rod. Unbelievable results. And then a friend of his named John Wesley said, you need to leave England and you need to start preaching in America. Because everybody in the colonies has abandoned the Lord. Whitfield didn't want to leave. He had been to America before, but the results were nothing like he was seeing in England. But by faith uh, in his friend and in the Lord, he moved and the great awakening swept throughout all the colonies. And many historians will tell you that the, really the coming together of the United States was due to the fact that all of these Pagan, wild, living colonists now were coming together under one umbrella of the hearing of the gospel of God through George Whitfield. Wow. But he had to leave. He had to leave something he loved to go to something he didn't. No, Acts chapter 8 says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now, how about that? 
The civil authorities thought they were crushing Christianity and actually what they did is produced a new missionary movement. May God do that in our generation. The more persecution, which we'll talk about later next week, may it produce a new missionary movement. Acts 8, where'd they go? Philip, one of the disciples, Philip went down to a city in Samaria, proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowd saw, when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was great joy in that city. Get used to different. Gee. I mean, he's in Samaria. You know, the last time the disciples were in Samaria, they, two of them, wasn't Philip, James and John, they were with Jesus and the Samaritans wouldn't let Jesus pass through because Samaritans hated Jews. Jews hated Samaritans. And James and John said, hey, we got all this power now as your followers. You want us to blow up Samaria? They asked him that. And I, I think, you know, you know, maybe a baptized imagination, again, from the movie Chosen, but I, I think it's that time that Jesus gave them the nickname Sons of Thunder because they wanted to call down lightning on the town of Samaria. And now one of the disciples is preaching in Samaria. Get used to different you know what I love about this, this verse? When you, you, I, love, I love that word shriek. <laughs> For with shrieks. For shrieks. Impure spirits came out of many. I mean, look at this. Devils are screaming. Paralyzed people are running. And the whole city is filled with joy. Don't you want to be a part of this? Why would any of us have anything in our life that is quenching and suppressing the Spirit's work and not enjoying this? You know, when I look at this, this looks very familiar to me, this kind of activity. It almost looks like the kind of stuff that Jesus did whenever he went to a village or town. Demons screamed, paralyzed people got healed, great joy. Yet Jesus is not doing this. His disciples are doing it. Oh, yeah, he said that would happen. Very truly, I tell you, John 14, 12, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things because I go to the Father and what? Send the Spirit. For those of you who are new to either that verse or new to church, you might be asking a question that's not really, that's a pretty decent one to ask. How can you do anything greater than Jesus? Pretty easy. Jesus could only be in one place at one time. But now that the Holy Spirit was living in every believer, the power of Jesus was in many cities at one time. The apostles were working in Jerusalem, and now Philip and the, and the gang were working in Samaria. So it's a greater work in scope because the Holy Spirit had been, had been given. Now we're back to our question. How do you get the gospel 
to the ends of the earth because the disciples, Jerusalem looks pretty good shape right now. Samaria, big party there. How do you go to the ends of the earth? Again, let's see, I think there's a conference in, uh, in December on how to take the gospel from Samaria to the pagans. No conference, nothing. Only the Holy Spirit knew how to do this. And so now is transition again for Philip. Acts 8, 26. Now angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. I'm very grateful that the writer Luke, who put all of this early church history together, I'm glad he reminded you and me this is a desert road because the road that went from Gaza really connected Palestine and Egypt. It was a desert road. It was a lonely road. And here Philip is in the joy-filled city of Samaria and the Holy Spirit said, leave. Gosh. To go to a desert road. You're leaving a joy-filled city to a desert road. But again... This is what the Holy Spirit does when we, Jesus said, this is what he will do. He will lead you, John 16, 13. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth and he will tell you what is yet to come. He's got this all mapped out. But you gotta be filled with him, controlled by him, sensitive to him. It's great that the spirit is leading us. It's hard though because it's, sometimes it means a desert a desert road, but the mission of God must be driven by the Spirit of God. And Philip was about to find out what the mission of God was. This is maybe my favorite story in the book of Acts. So he started out, left Samaria, it's on this desert road. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an imported official in charge of all the treasury of Kondike, which means queen of the Ethiopians. So, just so you can understand, got three characters in the story Philip, the evangelist, the preacher. Then you got this official who's like a secretary of the treasury of, 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 of the United States, Fed Reserve, Federal Reserve chairman, whoever you want, just in charge of money. For this country in Africa, Ethiopia, which was a lot larger then than it is now. So, her name is not Kondike, that's a title, that's like Madam President. But he works for Madam President, he works for the queen of this country in Africa, Ethiopia, and this is who Philip is going to meet. This man, Federal Reserve Chairman, Secretary of Treasury for Ethiopia, this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading, my goodness, this story is crazy, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. So why was he in Jerusalem? He, was, he lives in Africa, works for the queen of Ethiopia. He's a money guy, is in Jerusalem, probably just a diplomatic mission to extend goodwill from Ethiopia to the Jews, so he comes to Pentecost. 
How do you get the book of Isaiah? Um, your guess is as good as mine. Maybe when he was leaving Africa, maybe going through Egypt, he stopped in Alexandria, which had all sorts of books, bought it. Like, I need some good reading on the airplane. Or maybe when he was in Jerusalem, maybe a Jewish rabbi said, hey, thank you for coming and honoring our God. Here is a portion of the Old, the Old Testament. Whatever he is, he's reading the book of Isaiah. And so then the Spirit told Philip, while this Federal Reserve chairman from Africa is reading Isaiah, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now that, you're talking about get used to different. That had to feel weird. Like, you just, you know, nobody wants to be called a creeper. So like, okay, I'll go near this, I'll go near the chariot. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And he asked him, do you understand what you are reading? Now, this is precious. This is what we, what we said last week. God does choose to bring people into his kingdom, but he always does his choosing by also choosing to send a human to finish the deal. God had set this Ethiopian eunuch, this Fed Reserve chairman, he set him up, but the transaction was going to be completed as a human shared the gospel with him. So the guy said, how can I understand it unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Whatever God wants to do in this world, he's going to use you to bring Christ into that person's life. Never happens without a human voice. And so here's the beginning of the presentation of the gospel. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. So he's reading, he's got the scroll of Isaiah and in the middle of chapter 53 or the middle of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, which is 66 chapters, he's reading chapter 53. Isaiah is the second longest book of the Bible. It's huge. And he's reading this passage about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ as told in the Old Testament. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice for his life was taken from the earth. All of that is a a picture of, of, the, of Jesus dying on the cross. This is absolutely amazing. There are 622,700 words, 622,000 words in the Old Testament, and he's reading the words, the greatest words in the Old Testament about the cross, about the death of Christ. Wow, how does that happen? Spirit of God. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Could this get any easier? <laughs> then, Philip began that very then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Now, I hope you would be able to do that. 
<laughs> that, that's just like a, that's, that is a, that's a softball pitch. Woo! Hope you can hit that one. But what I love about this, it says he began with that passage. Now that gives me liberty as a teacher to say, I bet he told him more than that. Do you know why I think he told him more than that? The Bible said that this uh, Federal Reserve Chairman, Secretary of Treasury, whatever, he was, you know, who served the Queen of Ethiopia, said he was a eunuch, so his body was a bit deformed. And so he's thinking, I belong to a, a pagan nation. My, my nation does not worship God. I'm a finance guy, not a theologian. I'm a eunuch. I got this messed up body. I wonder if God would have me in his kingdom. So Philip turns from Isaiah 53, three chapters later to Isaiah 56. This is beautiful. This passage is in, in there. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain. I'm only a dry tree, again, a reference to his body. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose to please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. So as soon as this man discovered that he had a place in God's kingdom, you know what he said? It's what everybody says. I want to be saved. I want to be baptized. Just like what we're going to, like the people are saying this afternoon. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What could stand in the way of my being baptized? Like, what obstacle now could there be? Because I thought it would be the obstacle of my body, the obstacle of my, my past religion, the obstacle of my profession. And all obstacles had been knocked down by the power of the cross. But you know, it's interesting. But Philip had to get used, remember, get used to different. Philip had never baptized I mean, it was a big deal for Philip to even see the Samaritans come to the Lord because they were not all Jew. They were half Jew, half pagan. Now you got full pagan. Not even a trace of Judaism in this guy. Get used to different, Philip. This gospel is going to everybody. Baptize him. And so they did. And he gave orders to stop the chair and then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And there is your first, continent, uh, your first convert on the continent of Africa. Whew. How about that, Sean and Leslie, who spend all their free time in Africa? There's your number one to the nations. There he is. And you know what's so glorious about that is that Africa today is seeing the, you talk about wind and fire spreading the gospel. Africa today is seeing the greatest spread of the gospel, the fastest spread of the gospel, the greatest number of people coming to Christ anywhere in the world. I mean, the last of that I read, four out of every 10 people who live on the continent are believers in Jesus Christ. 
they have a lot of problems, huge persecution, poverty. And then you got a bunch of American preachers really messing things up with the health, wealth, gospel, telling them that they're going to be rich one day if they believe in Jesus and that everything's trying to go against the African church. But the fire and the wind of the spirit is still moving the gospel faster than anywhere else in the, in the world. One final thing to say about that, how the Holy Spirit is at work. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus. I think that's about 18 miles away and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. The spirit, look how it is again. The spirit is in charge of all of this. Why would we ever want to do anything in our life that would prevent the spirit of the Lord from moving us from place to place and person to person and miracle to miracle? And you know what I love about Philip ending up in Caesarea? That's the last place he went, preached the gospel all the way. He got to Caesarea, bought a house, I guess, raised four daughters. The book of Acts says he raised four daughters. They were all good Bible teachers. And how interesting is, I think on Paul's third missionary journey, in Acts chapter nine, the greatest evangelist to the lost world, the pagan, the Gentile world, the greatest evangelist that has ever preached the gospel at any time, a guy named Paul was saved in the next chapter, Acts nine, and on his way traveling, one day we find him residing in the house of Philip the evangelist with his four daughters. And the Holy Spirit had all of that in mind that day. Don't you want to be a part of that kind of life? We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.